Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 49 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So we have touched on this topic before, but today we are going to take a deeper dive into the accounts receivable balance and transition. Accounts receivable, by definition, is money owed to you by the patient or insurance for work you have already performed. This can be money owed by the patient or money's billed to insurance, monies that they haven't paid at all, monies that you've billed them that they have owed you from three months ago. The crux of it is they owe you for something you've already done historically. In a transition, this can be bought or sold, and there isn't a global right or wrong decision when you consider whether you should buy or sell it. But as with everything in transition, it depends on the transition and the accounts receivable of the practice. We will cover the big points today, and as you think about your diligence process, know without question that this is a step you'll need to tackle before you close. So, before we get going on this exciting accounting topic, but important accounting topic, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, accounts receivable. Just exciting know, stuff, Christy. Right? This is definitely up your alley. Thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> you doing okay? I'm doing okay, yeah. I mean, I had a rough start to the week. My daughter, who's eight, her name's Lila, pandemic. We've been outside a lot, but she is tall. She's very tall. She looks probably 20, not really, but she looks older. She's very tall. So we need a new bike. So we got her a new bike. And if you are in Texas, I don't know if this is like this everywhere else in the country, but if you're in Texas, bikes are a rarity. You cannot find them. And so my husband took her on a kind of date and they went and found this bike. It was like the only one in the shop and they wheeled it out and it was perfect and they were refurbishing it and she finally got it at home and she's had it two weeks and she showed everyone. And on Sunday night, my brilliant head left the garage open and sure enough, someone came by and stole her bike and the bike that I've been using to ride with her. And I woke up Monday morning and I was just heartbroken. And as a It's like, if it's your stuff, you can be like, oh, what an idiot. Like, shame on me. But when it's your kid's stuff, uh, I mean, I was so sad, more than mad. And she was super disappointed. So now we've been on like the bike hunt. And according to everyone, maybe around Christmas time, she can ride a bike. So we're in find bike mode. Well, I'm going to share a daughter story, but now i got to share a bike stolen story. So I remember when my bike got stolen as well, left it out on the front porch. And I remember just the big giant, you know, tears are coming out. Actually, my dad came over and gave me a spanking. Because <laughs> you <laughs> left it out? I left it out. So <laughs> that was part of the other lesson. And then another time I was riding my bike on some cool nature trails. I didn't grow up in the greatest part of town. And so I was out in these nature trails, actually in Oak Cliff, where you live not too far. You're the nicer part of Oak yeah. Cliff. Oh, let me just, sorry. Yeah, I didn't yeah, mean yeah. to like say that as a dig. <laughs> She's a really nice neighborhood. Don't give me wrong. But I had this guy stop me and said, hey, man, I like your bike. And uh, he said, uh, can I ride it? And I was like, No. <gasps> And uh, he said, get off your bike or I'm going to take it from you. And so I got off my bike and he left me his really old 10 speed. Oh, no. <laughs> Same thing. My dad made me ride that 10 speed till I saved enough to get my own bike. Oh, my God. It makes me so sad. Yeah, I cried. all. It was like a good three miles from where I live. So I cried all the way home on, on this crappy old 10 speed bike. <laughs> And so I'll move on to my daughter's story, then we'll get into this exciting AR. So the daughter turned 18 yesterday, and uh, she, for the birthday, she wants two things. Two, she's going to jump out of an airplane. So that's what she wants from dad. She's been telling me this. Are you uh, kidding me? No, oh she's going to jump out of an airplane. And then, Are you going with her? 
Uh, yeah, I think so that we die together, I guess. So. <laughs> Sorry, Roxanne. I've got a key man policy, both at NDP and Kane Waters, <laughs> and to take care of Roxanne. So we're good. But uh, she went to the local casino, you know. A couple, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. so she, uh, a couple of friends went up there and uh, gambled her life away. So that's what they want to do at now, 18. Now, is she like a, do you think it's like she's going to enjoy gambling? Or you think it's just like, this is the one thing I can do now that I'm 18? And You know, it's funny because it's her money. Uh-huh. So anytime it's her money, I think it's a lot different. Yeah. And so uh, she texted me at uh, 1 a.m. that she turned $10 into 37 So I don't think we're going to have a gambling problem. She cashed out. See, that's smart. That's me. I'm like... Give me these penny slots or these nickel slots because yeah. I like the I like the process, but I'm not going to throw a hundo down on a crap yeah. table or anything like the Mr. Reckless. Well, the problem is that these Oklahoma casinos they don't give you free drinks with your gambling. Oh, well, so what's the point? Yeah, I, I don't get it. So I, I'm out. I just I, I don't have no need to go to Oklahoma gambling. <laughs> I'm going to wait till Vegas opens back up and I'm going all in. <laughs> well, a good transition of the, yes. of the gambling. Yes. Um, the AR is kind of an unknown. It's something that we don't really talk about really a lot in the letter of intent process. We clearly, there will be discussion around it, but it's not something that is like we're diving in like we are on profitability early in the process, but right. clearly something that's super important at some point in the process um, when we handle this kind of matter. So let's talk about accounts receivable aging. Like what are your kind of just big picture? When I talk about accounts yep. receivable, I know you have some experience clearly kind of talking to buyers about this topic. What's your kind of just big picture before we dive into the details? I would say on the thousands of calls that I've been on, the discussion of AR on the first call is probably less than 1%. Yep. You know, so we need to first understand what we're purchasing. So I think of AR as, as like a lever. Okay, it's a lever that you're pulling on. There's like 10 or 15 different levers and it's going to, you pull on it the right way, it's going to send you cash. So we're certainly, you want to make sure that we've got a fair price. we got the building. We've got a plan of how you're going to get into the practice. we got a plan of how the senior guy or gal is going to work back, asset allocation. We've got all these things. And then eventually, we need to figure out what the AR situation is. And there's so many things that we'll take into account when we purchase this accounts receivable. And it could be from various things from insurance. Uh, It could be from Medicaid. It could be from prepays. There's a lot of different things that we want to look at. And this is, it could be a little decision or it could be a major decision, but I just want us to think about this is not going to be something that we talk about early on that we're going to make that decision that 100% we're going to buy, 100% we're not going to buy. It's just something we're going to deal with. So the short version of this, it's, it's an opportunity. It's an investment that we're going to consider And just like with all these other decisions, there'll be an answer that's right, both for you and both for us as we guide you through this process. Absolutely. And the first report that we will ask for in order to kind of get an initial assessment of what the AR picture looks like for your practice is the Accounts Receivable Aging Report. So that report is a report that shows your account total accounts receivable balance, and then it breaks it down into how old it is, right? So here's my current AR, meaning the amount that I probably just sent out a bill for, the amount that's 30 to 60 days old. So it's kind of a little further out. Those that are 60 days old and then those that are 90 plus, or sometimes you'll see a 90 to 120 and then anything over 120 days. So clearly the further you get out from when you build something the first time, the older it is and the less likely you're probably going to collect that. And so Mm -hmm. when we talk about that AR aging report, it's really important to understand what it looks like. It's important to understand the timing of when you're pulling it. If you're pulling it at the same point in time every month, your AR probably looks really similar, but if you bill at the first of the month and then you collect most of the time towards the end, 
if you pull a report at the beginning, it may look larger. Okay. And so it just really depends on your practice or the practice you're buying and the billing process and timing of that, but it should remain consistent over time. So when we pull an AR report at the beginning of a transition, we expect it to look similar or better. And the reason why it sometimes will look better towards the end and better meaning cleaner is because if you are a buyer buying an older practice or you're a seller and you've never really paid attention to your AR, you've just kind of kept it, you know, at its normal level, it's not been out of control. You might have some balances that start creeping up and you don't collect on them, or you know you're not going to collect on them, but you don't write them off. So your older buckets look big, but when you really go in there, you start cleaning it up. So oftentimes in a transition, that's what happens. A seller goes in and says, Oh, I'm never going to collect these balances. I should have written them off six months ago. They write them off. The picture looks a little cleaner as we kind of progress in the transition. So that's the accounts receivable aging report. It's important to know what that is. If you're buyer or seller, be able to pull that report and know what that looks like so that you can then, because everything we do with AR is based off of that report in a transition. And I think your team does a a fantastic job of this is one of the 50 plus things that we're going to request when we're either working with a seller or buyer that help the seller sell the business that perhaps it's the first time for them to potentially talk about this AR Mm -hmm. and the same thing for the buyer and for your team just to really clearly go through these various buckets and and really explain that level of breakdown. And so, you know, to me, and it's kind of a good segue into what my thoughts are on this, is that I like it. Mm -hmm. You know, I would prefer that we purchase the AR from the buyer's perspective. I prefer for the seller that they just simply sell it. Mm -hmm. So there is so much headache they can go into either from the seller or from the buyer's perspective. But my number one reason why that I like the purchase of it is my predictability of what the cash is going to look like on the very first day after we close. Okay, so one of the things that we're we're doing is really helping the predictability of this is a, you know, million dollar practice that makes 400, here's your debt, and then again, your team does a really good job of figuring out what the discretionary stuff that the maybe the doctors running through and we'll figure out what what the new expenses look like and from a budgetary standpoint and then being able to just to show them, hey, that you're going to make this twenty or $30,000 net number each month. And if you just do the following, this is all going to work out. And they're so nervous. Buyers mm-hmm. are so nervous. Uh, are you sure? Are you sure? And so this is one of those things that can help in our predictability of what that cash flow looks like. Because when people don't purchase AR, they just get working capital and they go, well, we're just going to do this with the seller because he wants to do this or she wants to do this or I wanted to do this or I was unsure about that. Then all of a sudden you don't need money. And depending on how much of your billing goes out on insurance and how long we're waiting for some of these payments to kick in, that first 30 to 60 days could be painful. You've got payroll that's already hitting. You've got fixed costs that are already hitting. So all of a sudden, the working capital goes, and it gets a little freak out. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you might have just some random slow month because you bought and closed in January, and February is just a shorter month. I don't know, but it will cause some stress you know, on that new buyer. So the number one thing that I like about the purchasing of it is I think that we can independently review what this value is and then help with our predictability of cash. Yep, I think so. And I think also it's helpful to understand what type of practice you're buying. Clearly, if it's a you know, good mix of fee-for-service and PPO, then you kind of know like, oh, I'm going to have some cash coming in the door those first few months. But if it's heavy PPO or like you said, Medicaid, and there is going to be those long lead times for billing, you need to make sure that your working capital that you get or AR is going to be sufficient to cover kind of those billing times, right? So it's important to kind of know what type of practice 
understand kind of the return time on those, which again, will be helpful even without asking those questions of the seller to look at the AR aging, because you're going to get to see what bucket has the biggest balances and under, start to understand why. The reasons why people tell me they don't want to buy AR, and we'll talk about how it's valued and how that comes into this conversation here in just a second, but I work with buyers and I tell them all the time, there is no wrong or right decision here. It is not Hey, and I'll be honest that I will say probably it's probably 50, 50, whether they buy it or not, regardless of what our opinion is of, of, Hey, we think you should buy it because it makes it easier. I will say out of all the transitions we do, it's probably 50, 50 and it's 50, 50 for various reasons. Either a seller for whatever reason, doesn't want to take a lower value because they know the money's going to come in the door. And so they put their feet in and say, no, I want to do this and have you collect it for me. Or there are times when a purchaser maybe has hit their lending capacity, right? Based on purchase price, and maybe they want to make some equipment upgrades, and they can only get a certain amount of working capital, and they don't have enough to buy the AR, then that can become a problem. Or every now and then I'll have a buyer that says, you know what, I don't trust the AR balances. Like they're big balances, and I already know kind of the, the sellers already told me the office manager doesn't do a good job of collecting. And so I feel like just keeping my working capital and knowing the certainty of that amount is better than kind of trusting, you know, the risk of, of the AR piece on this side. So there's definitely people who don't. And so I, you know, I want to make sure that we're talking about both sides, but I think if someone were to say, should I, or should I not? And we know that, and we trust the AR balance, then I totally agree with you. I mean, I think buying it is so much easier on both people's sides. It, it does create kind of cash flows and kind of puts you in that position as like the real owner right out of the gate where you're collecting the monies that are coming in. You're not having to bifurcate them with the seller. So super important to understand and think about all sides of that. So it's just like evaluation of a business. So, hey, I've got this million dollar business. Hey, it's worth 70%, not necessarily. Yeah. It has all to do with cash, has to do with maybe the value of the equipment. The same is going to hold here for the AR. Is it a 90% PPO and 10% Medicaid practice that my Medicaid practice may be paying on a weekly basis and my PPO may be paying more on my 60 day, but it's I'm getting the money. And, and I'm billing very little to my customer pay. And then even that small balances that I'm billing out to the customer, I've got them all cleaned up. I've got a great team up front. You know, I may value that higher, even though that our numbers from a valuation standpoint, as we look at AR, may tell us that we traditionally pay, let's say, you know, 70% of this 60-day bucket or this 50% or something on our 90-day bucket. And five or 10% on a 120 day bucket, we actually go into that level of detail to look at these individual people that we're collecting from. What history do we have and help to assess that in this example, we want to pay less or this example, we want to pay more, just like evaluation of any business. Yep. yep. And I would say that, you know, as we kind of move into valuation, that's a good segue. Valuation of a AR is more objective than the valuation of a full business, that's right? Because we don't have the goodwill component. But it does have other factors to consider. And how we typically would value it is based on kind of a factor of age and how collectible it is. So the current, if you think about kind of each of those buckets, right, and you kind of split your AR into the the age buckets, each bucket is then valued at a certain percentage. So maybe that current bucket is 90 to 97%, right? So you're assuming that only 3% of those people, you know, in that 97% scenario are going to not pay. Then when you move to your 60, now maybe it's 85 and you're 90, maybe now it drops down to 60 and then maybe you're over 120 you don't pay for because clearly those are six month old balances that we're not sure we're going to get. So each bucket can be valued at a percentage and what that percentage is, is where that subjectivity comes in. But it's not, you know, hey, we're just going to pay, you know, 
percent for everything you have in AR. It is absolutely looked at by each independent bucket, and then the overall percentage. You know, you can figure that out, but it's based on like your balances in that percentage. So I can think of one that it just—it's always just like sticks out of me. This was a East Texas practice, and a lot of times on these maybe more rural practices, you've got grandmas that have been coming there for maybe two or three generations, like their kids and their kids and their kids have all come to this practice. And literally, same thing with the dentist. The dentist has turned over and just been there for a long period of time. And the seller is like, well, hey, I got Mrs. Jones out here and you know, she owes me 15 grand. And you guys are valuing it like at 10%, but that's not fair. She's got consistent payments. So we literally have the AR report of all of these quote unquote Mrs. Jones. We've got highlights that she's actually paying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sweet old lady, this shows up and she pays $50, she pays $100, whatever it is. And so for those individuals in those cases that we've got a payment history, that's where the buyer and seller and even us can can look at that, you know, objectively and say, you know what, that's true. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we let's give some credit to Mrs. Jones. Maybe now, just because it's a year behind, she's mm-hmm. still steadily making payments on an every month basis that that 5000 or $10,000 or $15,000 amount, we're not going to give a 10% or no credit for. We might give that individual dollar amount maybe as much as 50% credit because that's what they want. Yep. You know, yep. she was actually just in for a procedure last week. Yep. You know, and I think also it's important as the buyer, if you say, Hey, and I've I've heard this from buyers, they're concerned that maybe that patient who has been there forever, are they going to keep paying me the new guy? Are they going to think that, Hey, the seller's gone. I don't have to pay this balance. So I've had buyers say, I'll buy your AR, but I'm not going to buy that those three patients or whoever they are. Cause I don't, I'm not sure they'll transition to me or whatever it might be. So there's also, you know, kind of one-offs that we can do where, Hey, if you're not comfortable or seller, Hey, you don't want to take a discount, you keep it, you take the risk on with that. So there are ways to make that fair. If you have those one-offs of payment plans and those types of things, I think it's also important to understand. And some people don't get this, but AR and the value we come to is in addition to any purchase price. Definitely. So that million dollar practice that we have a $700,000 agreed price for, the AR is going to be a separate amount. And again, that makes sense, right? It's work you've already done. It's not taken into account. It's money that you should have been paid historically that you just haven't collected yet. So that'll be in addition. And you're going to use the funds you would have received for working capital and almost... I would say 90% of the time, you're going to use funds you would have received for working capital to pay the seller for that AR post-close. And the reason for that is the AR is going to change every single day until you close. And you want to know what the balance is on the close date of whatever that value is for that AR and that you're going to write them a check for that. So So you're still working for your NDP money after we close. All the time. (laughs) And when I get into a really heavy AR post-closing phase... I'm happy to not see AR for yes, another yes. cycle of clients. So would you say this is accurate that our orthodontists that are purchasing practice and then our clients that are purchasing with AR, they're going to have less working capital needs because the cash is going to be more consistent Correct. and just more predictable. Yeah. Great point. I'm so glad you brought up ortho because ortho, as always, is a smidge of a different animal. I just said that AR is oftentimes not included in the purchase price. Ortho is the one exception. There are times where we will see that AR balance, accounts receivable, being included in the purchase price. 
because a lot of times with ortho, their AR is very small, right? Because we're on monthly plans, it's auto build, right? And there's just not a lot of like payments passed when you have your braces off. Yep. So that amount sometimes is included, and it'll depend on the price of your practice and how big your AR and kind of what that looks like. But the distinction that I want to make based on what you've just said is AR is not contracts receivable, right? Right, And that's a huge, we will have orthos call us, been in practice for 35 years, and they'll be talking about their accounts receivable balance, yep. and they're talking about their contracts receivable balance. And the contract receivable balance is what makes orthos not need that working capital because they are getting those monthly payments that are coming in. Right. And that is one thousand percent part of the purchase price of any ortho practice that you're going to buy. So that's definitely an important distinction. So what about credits? Okay. So my experience, you'll have a couple things like a fee for service, go back to my East Texas, or it could be like a specialist, like a a periodontist or a surgeon, and they've got these big cases. And so, hey, if you want to book next uh, Tuesday or next Wednesday for Dr. Jones for this $25,000 case that that you have accepted, Mm -hmm. you're going to need to pay a deposit. Okay. You'll need to pay a $10,000 deposit. And there's some examples where that doctor is booked out a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now all of a sudden we're doing a close on December 31st and maybe someone is paid on the 15th for a procedure that's going to happen in January. So now all of a sudden we have these huge credits. Credits could be tens of thousands in some of these prepaids and credits could be as little as $25 that maybe you paid and then the insurance paid. And so there was an adjustment that's made. So there's a lot of little credits. How does that work? And that just sounds like so much fun that you're dealing with that as well in the close, Christy. (laughs) God bless you and your team. Yes, this is an important (laughs) distinction and on two different, very different fronts, right? So I'm going to tackle the first one. So the prepaids, right? The fully prepaid patients, that $25,000 prepaid case, those are handled very differently than kind of my, I overpaid credits. So we'll, we'll tackle prepaids first. So for a fully prepaid patient, that is work that you've received all the money. And now the buyer is going to be expected to do all the work. Or even if you are going to work back as a seller, the buyer is taking on the overhead and the expenses and the chair time and whatever it's going to take for you to do that procedure. So in that case, whenever they're are fully prepaid patients, I would say 95% of the time, the buyer is going to receive a check for all of the fully prepaid patients that have not had any production done yet as of the close. So you're going to write them a check for those fully prepaid patients, seller, and hand that over to the buyer post-close or kind of right at close. And then if you're going to hang around and be in the practice, you will do that production. You can still, you know, the patient clearly booked with you, you can clearly still do that, but you will get paid based on whatever compensation you agree to with the buyer as your associate work back. If you're not going to, then clearly the buyer will do the work and you guys can have a plan for notifying that patient. Clearly a big case like that, it's important that communication happens. That's fully prepaid. Then there's like this gray area where you have people who have partially prepaid, but right. they haven't done all the work. So like, it's like a deposit for a lot of these practices. Yeah. So then those are a little stickier and it happens a lot with crowns, right? We do all the crown prep, we do all the work and all that's left is like seed crown. Well, we need to know like 
who's getting that money. So for those, we oftentimes just kind of request a list of who's in process and have paid some, but maybe still need to pay, or maybe they paid everything and all that's left to do is kind of seek that crown. Well then maybe let's just let the seller keep that. All the work and expense has been done. Now we're literally, it's no production for most practices just to kind of that final appointment. So those are something we have to tackle. Less money is exchanged in those. Then we have the other side of the spectrum, which is overpayments for exactly what you just said, like 25 bucks or 20 bucks that I overpaid at some point. In our experience, sellers really are surprised by what this number is for this overpayment. Like when they run their credits, they're like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea they owe thousands of dollars in 10 and $20 increments. So what our advice is, is for any active patient credits, clearly do it. If you're going to transition, just try to do a good job of refunding those monies as they come about. But if there are patients who say, Hey, I'd love to leave that on my account. And next time I come in, it'll just be a nice little surprise that I don't have to pay a hundred bucks or whatever the credit was. But if they're active patients and it exists as of the close, sellers need to write a check to, again, to the buyer. So that credit remains with the practice and that helps the transition because then when Miss Emily comes in to get her yearly cleaning and she had a $20 credit, she doesn't say, Hey, I had a credit on my account. And they're like, buyer's like, well, yeah, but that was with him and now that's with me. And so now you need to go to him to get that credit, but you still owe me the full amount, right? That's creating a dynamic you probably don't want and is it's not seamless for the patient. For a new doctor that just purchased a practice to have that type of uncomfortable dynamic in the office yeah. between the patient, now the front desk, and yeah. you guys messed it up. Yeah. yeah so any active patient, our advice for both sides is you write the check and then any older, if, you, if the patient hasn't been in the office in a couple of years, you might not have their address, like... Don't write a check to the buyer for that. That's just free money to the buyer, in my opinion. But are you responsible for those forever? Yes, right? You have an obligation to repay those if any patient should ever come back to the buyer and say, hey, I was here three years ago and I just got this looking, doing an insurance audit and saw that I was owed this money. Well, then, you know, that's when you say, okay, that was Dr. So-and-so's practice and here's their contact information. I'll reach out to them as well, but that's their responsibility. So I know we talked about this before, but since we're on that topic of credits, the same thing for a lot of our orthodontic clients. If someone does a prepay, a lot of times you have some practices where it's a $6,000 treatment and they'll say, Hey, I'll give you, you know, 10% off if you want to pay up front today. So they pay up front at 5,500. And then perhaps we do a start. We technically put the braces on right then then one of the things your team is doing now is to figure out what the dollar amount mm. was for that actual start. So then you and your team have to figure out, okay, that was worth, let's say, $1,500 for that day, and there's 18 more visits that come in, and then now it was 55 now we're down to four, you got to divide that out, mm-hmm. and then when are we going to close and have this massive Excel spreadsheet that you go? So if you close on this day, oh, no, it gets pushed out. So now we need to go to this date and this is the value of that. So that's part of what you're doing. So painful. It is. I, I, I love you for it, though. I love it when people are like, well, I've already agreed upon the price. I feel like um, Maybe I you, don't need to pay you. I don't need to pay you. No. Oh, my God. There's so many details into this thing. So if I can summarize, because I'm not always the best at summarizing, but I'm going to make a Go stab. I just, I'm in the moment. Do it. I, I am in the moment, Christy. So when we think about AR, it's definitely something we're going to talk about yep. uh, in these early conversations. And it's going to be something that we discuss in the letter of intent that our intent is to mm-hmm. purchase it. And this is going to be for a fair agreed upon price. Yep. So this is going to be something we'll do there. In the APA, on our purchase agreement, it'll actually discuss that we are 100% purchasing it. At that point, we have 
uh, done for the most part the calculation as far as what's going to be purchased and again in that 30 60 90 day post 90 day the 120 bucket and we will come up with this plan of what this is going to be but that final final number is not going to happen until after closing correct and think about right now where we agree upon these dollar amounts but it's constantly changing because you know, lending could be pushed out right now an extra 30 days or 60 days. And maybe there was a bigger case that comes in. So there's a lot of last minute things that have to go in to the the purchase. So it's always like start out big picture is does this make sense? What's Mm -hmm. a fair price? Let's deal with it. Because again, this is one of these mini levers that's going to affect your cash. And again, you need to have a buyer and seller both agree this is what they want to do and kind of be done and be fair about it. But I really just want the thing to be done, you know, at a fair price. And if I can, I really want us to purchase it because it makes it for a really smooth transition. Yeah. And if you don't purchase it, then clearly what we're left to do is you're left to track it for the sell, right? You are now collecting two ARs. So you're collecting your AR as a new owner. So your AR starts at zero and you're collecting the seller's old AR. And so what you likely have is a sheet of paper, Excel book, a yellow pad of paper that has all of the balances and the patient's name and what they owed and how old they are in that AR aging report. And it's on your front desk. And so as a patient pays, they are tracking, is it old, you know, Dr. Seller's AR or is it the new AR? And that is tedious you're relying on human error, but you know, patient money comes in and kind of, okay, if you extend credit yourself now, when someone pays, is it your money or is it the seller's money? So it's a short-term admin issue. Clearly. I mean, it's the first, probably no longer than six months of your ownership, but that's a really crazy time to also have to be tracking two ARs. You do get paid for it. There's an admin fee that we always write in. And if you're going to collect on behalf of the seller, you get this five to Usually it's 5%, I would say, in 90% of transitions. But every now and then, if it's big balances or costly, it'll be 7%. But that's the process, right? So that can be painful, which is why we say if you can and it's a fair value, do it. But there's clearly a process if you don't choose to buy it. And that's something that we hammer out in the APA as well. Yeah, but I just wanted to think about this. So you got now you got this front desk person that has been reporting to senior guy for 30 years. And clearly there's a, an amazing loyalty is there. You're the new guy that just came in or new gal that just came in. And then all of a sudden, hey, just let you know the, the owners have changed. This is how it's going to work. And oh, by the way, I need you to collect AR this way. I need you to track it. So now Mrs. Jones comes in. Again, the, the patient that has already accounts receivable set up, she gets a new procedure done. So then now the crown is, is done and she's going to pay you $500. And we're going to now start another $1,000 that we're going to bill out to her. So is the 500 now, is that towards the... The older guy, is that towards you? Like, how, how was that going to work? And now the front desk, again, you're given a new task, new responsibility. And yeah, sure, you're collecting 5% of some maybe $50,000 amount. It's 2500 bucks. But now you're causing a ton of confusion on the front desk, a ton of confusion with the patients. And now all of a sudden, maybe the front desk person that's at 30 bucks an hour or 25 bucks an hour, whatever it is, she's working overtime because she has to figure this out. And it's like, I can't emphasize enough that if we can figure this out and negotiate a fair way just to buy it, it's so much more simpler on all parties. So please, on a seller standpoint and a buyer standpoint, for the best and ease of the patients, this is definitely a strategy we want to see if we can't come to an agreement upon. Absolutely. And I mean, another highlighted point there that you made in that explanation is also like, what does your agreement say about it? Because there's oftentimes when 
we negotiate AR and you don't buy it, but then there's no details about how you're collecting or what you're collecting or what order you're collecting or how, how are emergency patients treated and what if they pay same day and what if they don't pay same day? So how often do you have to bill? How often do you have to pay the seller for the amount? So there's just a lot of things if you don't buy it that you can't just be like, well, I'm not going to buy it and I'll just pay in this 5%. No, it, there will absolutely be questions the first day money comes in and your front desk is like, where does this go? And there will absolutely be questions if you haven't paid the seller in a month and he wants to know why and you haven't been tracking it, then that's going to be a problem too. So again, let's try to avoid problems in the future by just being proactive on the front end and really thinking all these things through throughout the process. Awesome. So, how do you make AR so exciting, Christy? This is just amazing. Magic. Accounting <laughs> magic. That's it. That's all we have for today. Clearly, AR, one of the tiny pieces of the puzzle, something that we will dive into. And just kind of another thing is you, if you haven't found a practice yet or you're not thinking about, you know, selling for right now, but it's in your near future, you know, all of these things that we're covering on these podcasts are little tiny components and hopefully digestible little nuggets of information that you can kind of think about and process as you make your way towards ownership. And again, two years into it, if it went badly, you'll probably be like, oh, I would suggest someone buy AR or you might not think about it at all, which is the great, hopefully the way you feel about it. But we're here to answer these questions. That's why we do these free calls at the beginning. That's why we're here throughout your buying and selling process. So utilize your team, my friends. And that's all. So hey, give us an update uh, next podcast on how the bike situation is coming. I will yes. definitely let you know. Okay. Next, Thank you. Next round. It's the big 50. So hopefully that brings me some good juju in the bike front. Okay. So. Yes. The big 50 podcast. Hey, <laughs> great job today, Christy. That's it for today. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk, where you get your podcast and like us on social. Have a great week. Until next time, friends.